This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Well, Jeremy, it's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? It has, but it has been, it is so good to see you and to be talking about something that is like really big ideas. I like, I like for me, my brain does best when I swing between thinking big thoughts and being in the weeds. If I okay. don't have either of those, if, if I'm too much in one, my brain starts either slowly dying because I'm so task driven or uh, I'm frustrated because I'm actually accomplishing nothing but ideas <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> uh at some point we should talk about the the working genius in that case because it's this really interesting way to kind of talk about the different levels that we all like to operate on but uh we won't do that today we'll have to dig up that stuff for for future conversation um but when you're talking big picture we are talking like thirty thousand feet and above right if you've ever been in a meeting with church staff or with other folks that like to be able to use buzzwords of some kind. Um, The 30,000 foot view is going to be one of those things, right? Um, So the 30,000 foot view is what we're going to take today on something called systems thinking. Um, And we're just going to kind of dive in with both feet. If you've never heard the term systems thinking before, that's okay. Hold on because we will try to describe it. Um, And then give a couple of examples for why it's really, really important as you create ministry strategies, um, approaches to how intentional you are with uh, what you create as a part of your ministry, okay? No matter what age range you're really uh, involved with. Uh, Before we really jump in with both of those feet, um, I did think it was appropriate today just to make sure that um, everybody is paying attention to the continued news that comes out of um, what we would call the Holy Land or parts of Israel and Palestine. Um, Jeremy and I are doing this live on Facebook on October 23rd. It always gets uh, released as a podcast a little bit later on. Um, And we just want to be able to lift up some some quick prayers and encouragement for people to pay attention to um, how they can engage with some of the humanitarian needs that are starting to emerge uh, out of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Uh, anytime that there are conflicts in Israel and Palestine, um, the news cycle often just ramps up incredibly quickly. Oh, yeah. um, and um, there there are just hurt people on every side of the conflict. Um, when you think about uh, our approach to, you know, how we we understand conflict, how we understand war, any of those kinds of things. War always comes with a cost, uh, and we want to make ourselves available as um, you know, caring Christians, as uh, members of the worldwide community, um, to be able to offer humanitarian support um, for those that are affected and displaced by conflicts that are happening in Israel and Palestine uh, and in other places around the world as well. So um, if you have not seen that in the news, please start to pay attention to your news feeds. Look for multiple sources of uh, information and multiple sources uh, uh, for perspectives and those kinds of things. Um, It's very important to be familiar with the story, the deep, deep story um, that has kind of led to the conflict and and where we're at today with that. So lifting up, Jeremy, yeah, go ahead. Yes. And 
on a sort of practical and marketing standpoint, it's important to just know what's happening because sometimes there are things that you can post or can say that on an average day just mean what you posted or what you said. Hmm. But in light of a major news event that is sort of capturing a lot of people's attention might have a sort of feeling of a different uh, under a different tone or a sort of subtext to it that you didn't catch. So one of my habits is to, uh, you know, before like a, a program night or day, like, but, you know, Sunday morning before people get there to just do a quick scan of the headlines to see if anything happened that I didn't, I wasn't aware of just to make sure that like, Oh, wow. I'm not t- telling this random Bible story that now has a strange correlation with the news and I didn't intend it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so just Great point there. There we go. But that's not systems thinking. Well, <laughs> maybe we could do a deep dive that way for sure. But uh, yes, our, our topic for the day is indeed systems thinking. And as Jeremy said off the top, it is one of those uh, big idea kind of conversations, meta conversations. So we're we're not going to get into a ton of specifics in terms of, you know, what a system could produce in terms of youth ministry today. What we'd really like to do is be able to introduce the topic of systems thinking so that you can, as a church leader, start to be more aware of the systems that you are a part of at your church um, and how intentional you are about faith formation, uh, how intentional you are about uh, the system that you have in place for discipleship at your church and and the things that your church is really hoping to inspire or create. So that is how we're going to couch the conversation. Um, Jeremy, one of my favorite ways to talk about systems thinking, especially when it's with folks that are new, uh, is to use the example of coffee. Um, I know you're a coffee drinker. Yes. Yes. I am drinking coffee right now. (laughs) Excellent. Very good. Um, now how did that coffee come to be in your hand? If you're going to go from beginning to end for the process or the system that created that cup of coffee? Well, the capitalist overlords at Starbucks (laughs) probably paid way less money than they should have for beans from somebody in a part of the world that I don't know. Um, hopefully, though, I the, one of the reasons that I do support Starbucks is because they claim to try to uh, to not do that. So, um, in a little bit of research I did at one point, it seemed like it was credible, but that's happening. They've got a source the beans that were grown in some soil by some person. Um, and then they've got to process the beans and then, they, then the beans got to be distributed. And then there's the, the like teenage barista that made it today. They did a good job today. It was good. That, uh, and, uh, and then they heat it up. They put the water, they put, this is caramel macchiato. So they put two pumps of vanilla syrup in there. Oh, see, there you go. And and then they finished mine out because I like the whipped cream on top, whipped cream, caramel drizzle. I want to thank Cheers. you from the bottom of my heart for not drinking pumpkin spice. 
um, that that's a whole other episode for me. So thank you for sticking with the caramel macchiato, especially this time of year. And the amount of peer pressure that's out there to drink pumpkin spice, everything is is very high. So thank you for the solidarity right. with me on that front. Yeah, um, I used I just use the uh, pumpkin spice body butter instead. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so. Uh, it, for people that you know are familiar with Starbucks, right? You can order it using their mobile app. You could also go into the store, right? Um, so part of the process and part of the system is like there is a little bit of action on your part, right? The person that's going to end up consuming the coffee in order to get the kind of coffee that you want from Starbucks. But you are aware, even though you don't know every step in the process, right, Jeremy, that like you you don't know where the beans that made your cup of coffee today were necessarily grown. You don't know the name of the people that um, set up the arrangements to grow it, to ship it, uh, where it was roasted, any of those kinds of things. But you are aware that there were some steps in the process that were totally out of your control as the consumer mm -hmm. that had to happen in order for you to enjoy the caramel macchiato today. Um, and when I think about the idea of coffee uh, and relating it to discipleship, when I do workshops on intentional discipleship systems, um, I like to use this image for several different reasons. One of them is um, there are a million different kinds of coffee that are out there, right? Like even just within Starbucks, there's infinite options, right? For the different kinds of coffee that you could ask for um, an espresso, a cappuccino, um, an Americano, any of those things, plus flavors, plus creamers, plus all the things. Uh, just right. like in church life, there are uh, millions and millions of different kinds of discipleship, right? So one thing that often people get tripped up on in systems thinking when they're thinking about discipleship or faith formation at the church is not knowing really how to define what what discipleship is or what a disciple looks like, um, simply because there's so many different flavors of disciple that are out there, just like there's so many different kinds of coffee that are out there. Um one of the other reasons I really like to use coffee as an example is we have a wealth of uh, language that's related to water and is related to fire. Mm -hmm. And in the process of making coffee, if I was to go step by step, right, um, the things that you listed that were like the coffee beans, um, the the facility to roast those coffee beans, the heat that it would require to transform them into something that's flavorful, the machines to grind them up, all of those would be considered inputs into the system mm -hmm. for making coffee. Uh, the output yeah. is the cup of coffee that you ordered. And then those things that are in the system or that are in the, the process to brew the cup of coffee all involve water or heat, right? So when we're thinking about mm -hmm. systemic development in the church, you have all of these inputs, you have your church building, you have people that are active with you, you have um, school calendars, you've got all of the resources that are available to you from your denomination or from your community, and those could all be considered inputs. You need to, as a leader, be able to design a system and be intentional and present in a way that provides opportunities for transformation in the system. Because what you want for the people in your youth ministry or for the disciples that are in your church is to be transformed or changed by the experiences that they have as part of your ministry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody enters your youth ministry in sixth grade and exits your youth ministry at 12th grade, and they are exactly the same in terms of the things that they believe or the questions that they ask or their level of understanding, you as a leader probably haven't helped them engage a whole lot with different opportunities for transformation in your system of ministry. Does that kind of language start to make right. sense? 
Yeah. So yeah. when yeah. we're thinking about uh, systems thinking in this really like meta level conversation, um, when when in the Christian world, we're using language related to water or baptism, right? Uh, or fire, the Holy Spirit. Um, it's our job as church leaders, whether we're on church staff or volunteering, to be able to provide opportunities for young people and their families to transform because of the experiences that they have in our community. If you're not offering those opportunities for folks to transform, you probably have a really disjointed system and you're probably struggling with continuing to stay in relationship or stay with connected with families or with youth after they graduate out because they haven't had transformational experiences and you haven't provided them uh, sort of a pathway to follow or a system to grow into in order to stay connected outside of the programming stuff. Is any of that sounding familiar or ringing bells from your ministry experience? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really important um, when you're thinking about these sorts of systems is sort of like what you were just talking about, the system that they're growing into. Um, and, uh, and this is, and so, and, and I, I think it's important to think about that in uh, two levels, right? Your local church level, um, but also like the church, like capital T church. And um, an example would be there are songs that are sung everywhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Amazing Grace, let's say that. Sure. Great. Right? Amazing Grace. If you don't ever sing that song in your church, right, in your youth group ever, if it's never a part of it, and that is there, you're not like growing them into a, into like this bigger church system that when they show up somewhere else that they might have any familiarity with what's going on, mm, sure. right? If you are doing something that is so particular um, that uh, that it doesn't actually prepare them to to go to a church in another city when they show up for college or they move for a job, right? Um, you actually are, so you got to think of not just the system that you're dealing with right now, but the other systems that they will be like moving into from this one, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so in your local church, it's like when they, what happens when they leave the youth group, what happens when they leave, like when they leave your town, but then also in like the bigger church sense, like what is that? So it's, it's really important because what what you can have is you can have like a a three prong system over here, right? And then you've got the weird European plug over here, and like these things when they when when they finish your youth program, they are in no way prepared for your the, for going into the rest of your church, right? Um, and so making sure that when you're thinking systems, you're thinking in terms of like those two places, like where are they headed? I think that's really, really important. Uh, I agree with you. It's one of the interesting arguments that goes with, um, you know, how sort of professionalized or specialized age level ministries have gotten right for a long Mm -hmm. time that uh, if there's a church with some really advanced and amazing and excellent, like children's ministries or youth ministries that do an incredible job while that family or while that young person is in that age range, um, Mm -hmm that system is producing folks that are going to be great at connecting to that very specialized sort of ministry. 
they're not going to be not going to be great about being able to connect to another church or another community because the experience will be so different. Case in point, right, is a lot of my uh, you know former youth who are now grown and and healthy and happy adults, happily hopefully, um, as they you know kind of explore and try to find churches um, that could replicate some of the experiences that they had when they were a young person, right? Now that they're having kids of their own. Um, they've kind of been in conversation with me and said, man, I really wish I could find a church that did this, this, and this, right? Because that's what we did at St. Luke's when you were there. And my response to that right now is that was really short-sighted of me at the time. Yes, it was awesome and excellent. And we did some incredible things. But if you're looking for the system that St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Highlands Ranch used 20 years ago when you were in youth group, and you're trying to find that in a different church in a different context right now, you're not going to be able to find it. And of course, I've sort of done you a bit of a misservice because you're having a hard time connecting uh, because the system that was in place, right, for me, was driven to produce people that would continue to be connected to St. Luke's and look for highly specialized age level programming which is getting harder and harder to find depending where you are, right? So one of the antidotes, and actually we've mentioned friend of show, Sam Halverson several times when he talks about stuff in one body, um, but the experiences in worship, just like you used with the, the song Amazing Grace, being able to include multi-generational opportunities like being in worship that is not specifically designed for an eighth grader or for a 12th grader, or, uh, that they are there along with everybody else. They're part of the whole body of the church does them a much better service in terms of your system because that is going to give them experiences where they get used to being in a worship setting with multiple age ranges without everything being absolutely tailored to their every want and desire. Yeah. And uh, leaning in even further to Sam's one body work. um, Oh, one body workout. We should do that. We should make a workbook for One Body called the One Body Workout. Sam, sorry. if you're listening, we're very sorry. <laughs> no, you're welcome. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, but leaning further into that work, I think, is also that it is really important for them to be um, in leadership in those arenas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, just, there's just failures on lots of levels in the way youth ministry has been done. Um, uh, one of them is that all of the youth, all of the development, all the leadership, all the stuff has been done just with youth in a lot of places. And so, um, but it, it over it it ultimately does this exact same thing that you're talking about, where it you're you're creating a system that sort of segregates teens from everybody else, and they don't know what to do after that because you know you hopefully don't have some of the worst and most boring parts of <laughs> the church structure in the youth ministry. But like when we involve them in when we say like we want to have them as part of a multi-generational community um, uh, in, in worship, that means that like they're leading some of the things. That's right. It's not all old people. And if there is, if there are committees and, and things that are like, if there's a big event that your church does, I, I remember the church that I was growing up had this like 
I don't even remember. It was some sort of like fall festival without anything fun, really. Like it was all these like <laughs> it was like arts and crafts festival thing. But it was it occupied an enormous amount of energy and the church's focus and all that kind of stuff. If you've got something like that, the 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 teens shouldn't just be like showing up on that day. If you've got some leaders, you should have a leader or two on that committee. Right, doing sure. that work because what's gonna it's not only is it gonna make that that event way better, but also what it does is like it gets uh, your youth into this system where afterwards they're like, oh yeah, yeah, like if there's a thing, I can volunteer to be on that committee and kind of help plan that, and uh, and that's really really important because um, when it's so separated, um, that's part of that problem that you were talking about with your former youth, right? When it, and if we're talking about systems thinking, right, like you and right. I uh, both completely agree that a system will produce whatever it is designed to produce, right? Yes. Doesn't matter how intentional or how unintentional, how well-coordinated or how um, sort of goofed up the system itself is, it is right. going to create things on the other end. And so if if you are seeing young people that don't feel connected or aren't in leadership positions, you are operating in a system that doesn't do a great job of equipping, empowering, and creating new leadership, right? So systems-wise, when we're thinking about that stuff, um, it, one of the things I, I always lift up as well when I'm doing these kinds of trainings is that you know systems thinking means you don't start with the goal first, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, you and I have both met a lot of churches who would say, we want more young leaders or we want more young people present in the church, right? Every and that's a goal. Church. And goals are good to have, but in systems thinking, you don't start with the goal. You would say, okay, so we want to become the kind of church that more young people would attend. And then you can start to ask yourself the question, what are the things that we might need to do so that we become the kind of church that more young people would want to attend, or we want to develop more young leaders? What are the things that we could do that would create more opportunities to develop leadership in our church across every age range that there is. Because if you start and stay with just the goal, right? And you say, okay, we want a youth leader on the fall festival planning committee. Um, You'll find one, right? And you'll plug them in and they won't have any idea of what to say. They will have zero confidence in being able to lift up their own voice because they're younger than every other person in the room. Um, Your culture does not support the goal that you're stating. Right. And because the culture of discipleship or the culture of leadership development in your church doesn't match the goal that you've said, you're going to have a hard time reaching that goal. And so systems thinking asks church leadership to take a step backwards and to be able to say, okay, what are the things that we could do? What are the steps? What are the processes? What are the pathways that we could put into place so that we develop young leaders? And so when we say, you know what, we need a young person to serve on that fall festival fund committee. Um, oh my gosh, we've got eight excellent choices uh, because I've got eight young people who've had these different experiences as they've come up through the church so far. So let's ask them and, and find out, right? That that's the, that's the twist from systems thinking and being intentional about the pathway that you set, as opposed to starting with the goal or starting with, you know, sort of the end, right? Um, if the church says this fall fun festival has to happen, um, that's the program dry, trying mm-hmm. to drive the transformation, and that's right. backwards, 
right? It's the culture and it's the pathway and it's the transformative opportunities that then dictate what the stuff on the other end should look like. You know, what does worship look like right. to connect young leaders with each other? What does uh, what shape does the fall festival take because young people are involved in the planning and we've done some community outreach and we know what the community would like to experience, not just inside our church. So I, I think that's a fun example to be able to play around with. I just mm-hmm. meet a lot of people who, um, because they are working in an organization that sets goals, and again, goals are good to have, um, but uses the goal as the the measuring stick and then tries to sort of force everything to meet the language of that goal. It's a real different approach than trying to build a culture and build a system that is just going to end up producing the things that you would like. It just takes a little bit longer and a little bit more intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something that you're um, uh, constantly revising and managing, right? Yeah. So uh, because if you are creating a system to produce a certain kind of results and those results are not what's being produced, mm-hmm. it means you, you've got to change. You've got to tweak the system. Something there's something there that's, that's not working. Right. Um, and so there's, there's sometimes that you've got this, like you've got these goals, right. And then you've got a, this layer of like, uh, this layer of like, here's the kind of ways we imagine these goals are expressed. Then you've got the program layer, right? And then you've got like what's actually coming out of that system. And you and, and you you will sometimes get to the end and be like, that didn't. We're not doing this still, right? And so you've got to <laughs> constantly go above and say, okay, what is this? What is this? Is this? Are these things? Oh, there's this. Uh, there's this guy named Marshall McLuhan, who's a communications guy mm-hmm. um, a long time ago. And he had this famous quote that the medium is the message, right? And that the way you are doing something is as much of the communication as what you were doing, right? Sure. And uh, and so when we're talking about all of this stuff, transformation, all these really big systems, concepts, um, as soon as you start translating that into actual, you know, values and actions and programs and deliverables, right. You, you're, you've got to make sure that, because sometimes when it, when you, the medium that you end up putting that in actually trumps what you're trying to do mm. and produces this other result. Sure. Sure. There's uh, um, also something that I think continues to be on one of the bestseller lists. It's uh, by James clear. Uh, it's this book called Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Yeah. Um, when I first picked it up, I thought it was Atomic Hobbits, and I thought it was like <laughs> going to be nuclear powered. And that's a disappointment. characters. Right I was really disappointed. But then once I figured out what it was actually, no, that's a lie. <laughs> uh, I always knew it was Atomic Habits. But thank you for listening to my stupid joke. Um, Atomic Habits uh, is on the New York Best Times seller list, and it really is about systems thinking. And I, I like the approach that's in that book because the author kind of looks at transformational opportunities and boils them down to like a series of small tweaks and small changes, you know? So I I think one of the last thoughts I want to lift up in terms of systems thinking today is I know when you're talking big picture stuff or you're talking meta stuff, um, 
it sounds sometimes as if we're asking someone to like overhaul the entire discipleship system at their church or flip a switch and try to change the culture of somebody's church overnight. And it's, it's not that way. Um, systems thinking is thinking about the series of interconnected parts and opportunities um, and how you can make small tweaks at different places in the system that add up to enormous differences at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an example for me might be uh, how I looked at confirmation and confirmation curriculum when I was leading ministry yeah. St. Luke's. Right. So um, confirmation in our context took place in the second half of the eighth grade year. It would go for the spring academic semester. So basically we're going from January until about Mother's Day. Okay. For our confirmation class. And as a part of our confirmation class, um, not only were there, there youth classes, but um, as I looked at trying to like kind of increase the impact or the transformational opportunities that came out of confirmation, um, I would put together a parents class. And so if a youth was signed up for confirmation, the parents were also signed up for the adult confirmation class. We would keep the adults a couple of weeks ahead in terms of the curriculum that we were covering. But that was kind of secondary, right? Like parents do like to feel equipped. They do like to know what you're teaching their young people. Um, But the material that we were talking about was secondary to the relationships that were being formed as friendships of the parents of the youth who are engaged Mm -hmm. in confirmation, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because there's this human nature thing that we tend to go and show up when our friends are going to show up to things, right? Um, so a tiny tweak to my confirmation system, where not only was I providing opportunities for young people to learn about history of the church, theology, um, you know, figure out membership vows and join the church and those kinds of things. I made a small tweak to say, you know what, the relationships between their parents are really important too. And so I need to provide something in my system that feeds the parents. And as soon as I did that, there was some initial resistance, right? Because what parent was like, well, God, I, I have to go too. <laughs> I don't really want to do that. Um, <laughs> but after that initial resistance of maybe the first year or two of offering it, the system started to produce new relationships and deeper connections across generations in the church because mm-hmm. these parents knew each other. And then that was reinforced by uh, a prayer partner or a mentor in the confirmation program, right? Like I know a lot of people use mentors in confirmation as well. Um, and so a small tweak to your system, if you do use mentors of some kind in confirmation, is to try to figure out how to extend that mentoring relationship beyond the time frame of confirmation, right? If you present it as, hey, mentor, you're going to do this for two months. You're going to pray with this kid and answer any questions that they have. You'll show up on membership Sunday and clap for them when they join the church. <laughs> right. That's a real different system than saying, I'm going to ask you to be connected with this young person, get to know them by name, mm-hmm. figure out how you can be present with them and pray for them. And then continue a relationship with them until they graduate high school in terms of that relationship, meaning like ways that you mentor and help keep them connected to our church, or just check in with them once a month to say, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you Mm -hmm. in a while. It's a real different system and a real different invitation than just saying, hey, be this prayer partner for two months because I need one for every kid in the confirmation program. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's that's, that's the name of the game. I think, and I think. This is a conversation that takes a lot of time, but this is a, a good entry into it. Um, if somebody is wanting to 
explore this further, where would you direct them, Chris, uh, for a, a place to really start digging into systems uh, thinking for youth ministry? Okay. Um, so one of the things I would absolutely lift up is um, a website that comes out of Discipleship Ministries. And if you were to go to seeallthepeople.org, um, just like here's the hands, here's the steeple open, here's all the people, right? So seeallthepeople.org. Um, on there, there are real life examples of discipleship pathways and discipleship systems that churches are currently using. Um, so it's a right. great way to kind of look at discipleship pathways, systems thinking in terms of faith development um, in a pretty accessible kind of way. Uh, there's a recent publication that came out of the Fuller Youth Institute as well. Um, and I don't know, you probably got sent a copy of this too, but Faith Beyond Youth Group um, also actually looks a little bit at systems thinking um, because it says that you know the, the focus of youth ministry, if it's on something that's more like character development, uh, as opposed to, and connection, as opposed to programming, um, shifts you into being able to think about the way that you structure your system to, um, create an end goal of somebody that has, you know, kind of lived into your definition of a disciple as well. So they've got some very, very good stuff. Um, growing young, I think would be a little bit of system stuff as well, which also comes out of fuller. Um, so those are a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, no, those are, those are all really great. And I think, uh, I, I think I'd start with the discipleship ministry one just because it's not um it's not academic. It's, it's not academic and you can like quickly see some things. Sure. Right. I really appreciate it. Because you're like, oh, okay, this is it's helpful for me to at least uh, get my mind thinking in the right direction. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it also uses some of the same language that if you look it up and you get curious about wanting to talk about this with the rest of your church staff, um, you could ask about if there is an intentional discipleship system or an intentional discipleship pathway that your senior pastor is trying to accomplish, right? Because um, there are a lot of bishops out there or uh, a lot of conferences who are trying to lean into using some of this language and us being intentional about faith formation. And it may, you know, give you some vocabulary that they would be familiar with as well, which is always a good thing when you're speaking the same language as the senior pastor at your church. So <laughs> could be very, very good. Yes, absolutely. Well, Jeremy enjoyed it for sure. Well, those that happen to watch us live on Facebook, thank you for hanging out with us for a half an hour or so. Jeremy and I always appreciate being able to do the recharge as a leader of youth ministries, um, know that you're always in our prayers, know that we're here to help try to refresh and recharge and have some laughs along the way, especially as we get into very, very busy seasons for youth ministry, uh, looking towards fall fundraisers, retreats, midwinter activities, uh, Advent and Christmas. We know it's a busy season. So thanks for taking some time to kind of recharge and hang out with us. You can always listen to the podcast versions uh, as they get published on umcyoungpeople.org. And if there ever happen to be comments that pop up on our live Facebook um, recordings that are posted on the UMC Young People's page, we make sure to engage in conversation there too. So Jeremy, enjoy your karma macchiato. I have talked enough. You have talked enough. Prayers for everybody Cheers. else that's out there. Absolutely.